Morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Wow, got a bunch of Scrooges in here. <clears throat> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. There we go. <clears throat> um, I want to welcome all of you to Good News Gathering. And if this is your first time at G&G, my name is Jeff. And um, um, we're in actually the fourth week of our Christmas lesson series entitled Follow the Star. Um, now, before we dive into today's lesson, I want to make just a couple of comments about what's coming up this week because we got a very important week uh, coming up. In addition to our Christmas Eve services, which are at 4 and 5.30, um, each service will just last right at an hour. Um, <laughs> that, that's happening on Tuesday. Our service next Sunday is going to be very exciting as well. Each year, we pick a theme word uh, for the year. Uh, for those of you that may be new to us, that you may not realize that, but it's, it's kind of a word that we believe captures a sense of where we are as a church family and what we need to focus on together as a family. And this, this year's theme word has been the word follow. And so all throughout this year, we've kind of drilled down um, <laughs> on what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> what's going to happen next Sunday is we're going to actually unveil the 2020 theme word. And in addition to that, <laughs> we will preview the lessons for the coming year. Uh, some of you know that we plan our, our lessons a year in advance, and you'll all receive, whoops, next week you will receive a lesson brochure that will give you all the titles uh, for each of the lessons that we'll be covering uh, during the year. And um, we're also going to be uh, calling next Sunday our Spiritual Health Checkup Sunday. And so what's going to happen is you'll have an opportunity next Sunday to participate in a spiritual health self-assessment. In other words, you assess where you think you are in your spiritual journey. And if, if you choose to do so, you can actually then arrange a time to discuss that with somebody who's been trained to assist you in your walk of faith. So it's really designed to, to help you to grow and, um, and maybe to point out some different things you may try to see if, if there'll be helpful growth tools for you. Now, <clears throat> what I'm saying, I guess, is if you want to be on the front end of what's happening here at Good News Gathering in 2020, you don't want to miss uh, next Sunday morning. Now, <clears throat> if this is your first time at Good News Gathering, you received a lesson outline in your bulletin, and it's a white sheet with holes that are punched on the side. It has the scriptures that we'll be covering today, along with some fill-ins that will help you follow along with today's lesson. Now, during this Christmas season, what we've been doing during our lessons is we've been shadowing the Magi, those wise men from the east, as they followed the star to the babe of Bethlehem. And if you haven't been able to be here for any of the lessons in this series, you can pick up a free audio CD at the Welcome Center, or you can watch the video of each lesson online. Um, <laughs> now, during this service... What we've, what we've been le learning is that scholars believe that the wise men came from an area that is now in modern-day Iran or perhaps in modern-day Iraq. It would have been a trip of somewhere in the neighborhood of probably a thousand miles or better, a pretty dangerous undertaking in that day and age that would have been extremely expensive to make and also time-consuming, probably lasting several months. And even though, as far as we know, 
these wise men were not Jewish, they were somehow aware that an extraordinary event was taking place in the land of the Jews. A king had been prophesied 1,400 years earlier in the Old Testament book of Numbers. And they believed that this king had finally arrived on the scene. And his coming, according to the prophecy, would be signaled by a star. This is found in the book of Numbers. And this star conducted its movement across the night sky, unlike any other star or constellation that these guys had ever seen. You see, these these wise men were actually trained in astronomy. They charted the movements of the heavenly bodies. But this star was different. It was more than the other stars whose trajectories could be plotted in a predictable, with, with very predictable accuracy. This star moved somehow in a manner that they could follow mile after mile from the east to the land of the Jews. Obviously, this was miraculous. And it led them to this child who would grow up to speak what I believe are the most important words ever spoken in human history. Some consider these words to be the most controversial words ever spoken. There's no question that they're bold words. Some might even call them daring words. Words that don't simply request a response from every person who hears them. No, they demand a response. Each person who hears them is forced to decide. I either believe his words to be true or I don't. It's very black or white. In or out, all or nothing. There's no riding the fence when it comes to these words. They are either true or they are not true. It really is that simple. And the truth is you can't have it both ways. You also can't say, I can't decide. Because no decision, when it comes to these words, is a decision. It's as good as saying, I don't believe it. The words spoken by that child 30-some years later have been our focus verse for this entire lesson series. They're the words of Jesus. They're up here on the screen. Let's all recite them together. Here we go. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now think about those words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And each week during this lesson series, we've looked at this radical claim that Jesus made through the journey of the wise men. And in week one, we examined Jesus' claim to be the way. And think about that. Just as the star showed the wise men the way to Jesus, Jesus claimed to be the way, the direction, the route, or the path to God. In week two, we looked at Jesus' claim to be the truth, the truth of God, 
The wise men found this child, not in a political and in the political and religious capital of Jerusalem, not in a palace born into royalty, but born to a common couple in an out-of-the-way town called Bethlehem. And we learn that God is not concerned with power or wealth or social status, but character and humble service. And last week we examined Jesus' claim to be the life, the life. And in coming into this world as a baby, we discovered that life is precious in the eyes of our Creator. And that we are created for lives of meaning and purpose and significance, both in this life and in the next. In fact, we learned last week in the words of Jesus that eternal life begins the moment we accept him. Think about that. Eternal life has already started for many of us sitting in this room because we've already accepted Christ as our Savior. And eternal life begins now and goes on into eternity. Now, today's lesson is entitled, The Father. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here's what Jesus is claiming, is that that he is the one and only link between human beings and the Father. In in fact, he says, no one, not you, not me, not anybody, has access to the Father except through him. Now, what we want to ask ourselves today is, what does this tell us about the Father? And what could the wise men have known about the Father as a result of this journey? Let's go to God in prayer, and then we're going to get down to work. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to look into your word. And Father, hopefully to discover truths about you. Father, it's our hope and prayer that as we go through today's lesson that you would help us Help us to stay focused. Help us to eliminate any distractions, anything that would take our mind off off of what you are trying to tell us today. Because, Father, this is going to be some tough stuff. So help us to hang in there with you and to hear your voice. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Now, when Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me, who is he referring to? And I know probably many of you are going, okay, Jeff, that's, that's kind of obvious, but, but I kind of want to dig into this for just a moment, okay? So bear with me. But Jesus, when he refers to the Father, is referring to what Christians refer to as the first person of the Trinity. And that word Trinity just simply means three in one, Okay, and if that's, if that's kind of an, a, a new word for you, you might just write that in a margin, three in one. That's, a, that's what Trinity means. 
And while the word Trinity is not actually used in Scripture, like you can't go in your Bible and look up, look up the word Trinity and find it. It's, it's not there. It is a word that describes a concept that is clearly taught in Scripture from the very first verse on. And it's this idea that there is one God and only one God. And yet in some mysterious and supernatural way, God is three in one. And he's described in Scripture as God the Father, okay? And then you have God the Son, and then God the Holy, Holy Spirit, So you have three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and yet one God. And interestingly enough, you see this idea of God as as in some way a plurality and yet one right off the bat in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning, God, circle that word please, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, circle those words. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you have God, the Creator, and you have the Spirit of God present and active in the creative process. But that's not all. On the sixth day, when God decides to create human beings, he references the idea of of a plurality within his oneness. Notice what it says in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us, circle that word, let us make mankind in our, circle that word, image. In our, circle that word, Likeness. So three times in this one passage, he uses plural words. Us, our, our. And when he says, let us make mankind in our image, he's not talking to angels. Okay, angels do not create. They are created beings. So when God says, let us make mankind in our image, he is speaking to himself. This idea of God being three in one appears in the angel's announcement to Mary that she will have a virgin birth. Notice what it says in Luke 1. It says, The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Circle that word. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Circle that word. And you are to call him Jesus. Now notice how he describes this son. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Circle that. He's the son of the most high. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit. Circle those two words. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High, circle that phrase again, will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, to be born will be called the, circle this phrase, Son of God. 
So right here in the angelic announcement to Mary, you have God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit, three in one. And you know, I, I wonder if, if, when the, if when the wise men arrived at Bethlehem, if Mary told them what the angels said to her. You know, this is no ordinary child. Now, most likely, scholars believe the wise men were probably aware of the Old Testament prophecies, but now they've also heard about an angelic announcement that this child, born of a virgin, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. And Jesus would grow up to to command his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you were here last Sunday morning for our baptism celebration, everybody that was baptized was baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why? Not just because Jesus commanded it, because that's who God is. And when Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's talking about the one and only God and creator of the universe. In other words, he's saying, I'm the link between you and him. And I'm it. So what could the wise men have learned about the Father as a result of this experience? I believe there are four truths that they could have discovered and four truths about the Father that you and I need to learn today. And the Bible tells the story like this. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, interestingly enough, as far as we know, none of these guys were Jewish, all right? They lived hundreds, if not over a thousand miles away. They were probably either Babylonians or Medians. And yet they saw the star, and they determined to follow it, to find this one who was born king, not of the Babylonians, or not of the Medes, but of the Jews. And when they arrive in Jerusalem, it says this, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they responded, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now we know that Herod's intent was not to worship the child, but to destroy the child. But here's what I find fascinating about those two passages. 
the information about the child sent by God was available to people far away and to people right next door, five miles away in Jerusalem. The information was available to foreigners and to Jews. The wise men, these foreigners from hundreds or if not a thousand miles away, had a star, a supernatural phenomenon that let them know where to go to find this child. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the king had the scriptures, the written word. They knew where he was supposed to be born because of what was written in the Old Testament. The prophecy was known and made known to both groups of people. And the first truth about the Father is this. Truth about the Father is knowable. It's knowable. When Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's saying that nobody will be in the presence of God apart from the fact that Christ made it possible. His death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God. And I can imagine what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, but what about those that haven't heard of Jesus? What, what happens to them, Jeff? It's very fascinating what the Apostle Paul had to say in the book of Acts in chapter 17. And you have to understand that Paul is meeting with Athenian philosophers, Greeks, people who presumably had never heard about Jesus before this moment. And notice what Paul says. He says, from one man, he, referring to God, made all the nations. So he's saying, God created everybody. Regardless of where you live, what time in history you live, God created everybody. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Okay, so God intended for people to spread out and inhabit the earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So it's not like when people started moving all over the earth and inhabiting different places, God was shocked. It was the intention. And then it says this. God did this so that they would, circle these two words, seek him. Wow. How interesting is that? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps, circle these four words, reach out for him. And not only... Did he do this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him? It goes on to say, and, circle these two words, find him. He's saying you can find God if you seek him and reach out for him. Whoa. And he goes on to say, though he is, circle these two words, not far not far from any one of us. 
Now again, he's speaking to Greeks who had never heard of Jesus. And he's saying that God has a plan for creation where each person is assigned a place of birth. In other words, the fact that you were born in the United States in whatever year that might have been is not an accident. It's not haphazard. You weren't born and God set up in heaven and said, I wasn't expecting that. Or why are they there and not over there? You were born in a time and a place determined by God and he puts us in a position wherever and whenever we are born to seek him and reach out for him and find him. And it doesn't matter where you are or what time frame you were born in, he is not far from you. God is knowable. He is within reach of every one of us. Whoa. There is always the possibility of a person, regardless of where they live or when they live, of falling on their knees and saying, God, if you're there, help me. Or like somebody told me the other day, their very first prayer was, God, I don't even know if you exist, but I need need help. And if that happens, there are many ways God makes himself known. Perhaps it's through somebody sharing the good news with you. Or perhaps it's through observing the created order. The Apostle Paul wrote this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So Paul's infinite power in his order and magnificence are revealed to everyone through creation. Paul is saying, just go outside and look. And you would have to draw the conclusion that there must be something greater. Not only that, but God's moral principles have been imprinted upon us as creatures created in the image of God. Paul writes this. He says, indeed, when Gentiles, non-Jews, people who do not have the the Old Testament in those days, people who do not have the law, the Ten Commandments, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. In other words, he's saying these people operate as if they knew the Ten Commandments and that they've had no exposure to it. How is that possible? He says this, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. And what he's saying is even though there are people out there who are unfamiliar with God's word, they have an internal sense of right and wrong, good and evil. And it's because they are created in the image of God. They may not act like it, they may violate it, but they know it. The psalmist says it this way, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. In other words, if we call on God, 
He will make himself known whether or not we have one of these in our possession. We are fortunate that we live in a land where everybody can have one or more of these always available to them. But in countries where it is not available, God appears in other ways. Think about it. Do you honestly think God is limited in how he reaches out to people? He reached out to some wise men with a star. He's been known to reach out to other people through dreams, visions, and other types of supernatural intervention. See, God's not limited in how he lets the truth about himself be known. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You see, if God is not far from us, regardless of where or when we are born, and if he speaks to us through creation and through our conscience, and Jesus assures us that if we seek, we will find, then we have to accept the fact that we are without excuse. We are without excuse. Every human being will know enough truth so that if they respond to what they know to be true, God will reveal more to them. And those who respond to the truth that they do have and sincerely seek God will in some way be given an opportunity to respond to Christ. That bullet point says it this way, and I know this is going to sound harsh to some of you, friends. I don't mean it to be. But no one will be able to stand before God and honestly say, I could not have known the truth about you. I could not have known. Because if you honestly seek him, he is not far from you. Now the story goes on, says this. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. Can you imagine a star? Can you imagine a star stopping over a house? I mean, stars don't do that. They're, They're so far out there that it looks like they shine on like everything on the horizon, right? The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. You think about what's, what's going on with these wise men. I mean, this, here they are. They've been, they've been following this star for miles and miles and months and months. And they finally get into Jerusalem. And the, then this king and then these chief priests and these teachers of the law confirm, okay, this, this child's supposed to be born five miles down the road in Bethlehem. And, and they go out, apparently in the evening, they start heading for Bethlehem. And that star is like, here you go. And, you know, I think that it's probably very likely that those wise men figured out, you know what? 
Only the creator of the universe could make a star do something like this. Only somebody who has power over all of creation could pull this off. And friends, by following the star, you and I can discover that truth about the Father is absolute. It is absolute. The Bible says it this way, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. In other words, truth about God is, is, is universe-wide. Isaiah said, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And friends, when we use that idea of Truth and, and, and truth being absolute, truth about the Father is absolute. That word absolute simply means this, okay? I want to make sure we're all clear on this. Because this word gets thrown around in our culture in a very negative way these days. But that word absolute means this always and everywhere true. Always and everywhere true. In other words, truth about God applies always and everywhere. It doesn't matter what time frame you live in history or geographically where you live. The truth about God is always true no matter what. Always and everywhere true regardless of whether or not it is believed. Still true. Whether you and I believe it or not. And you think, that's the, you think about it, it's, it's borne out in this story. King Herod was aware of the prophecy. He was aware from the scripture where this child was going to be born, but he didn't believe in anything but power. Here you have these wise men that have traveled all these hundreds of miles, and you have a king five miles away who's not buying it. But God's word is true, and this child was the son of God. Now, the Bible goes on to say this. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And you think about about these wise men. These guys were the highest, probably the highest educated people in the culture of their day. Social status, they are like this. And they end up in this little hamlet with a couple whose economic status is probably somewhere between poor and, you know, low middle class. And they end up in this house and says they bowed down and worshipped a child. Now they had just been in Jerusalem with a king. They didn't bow down and worship him. There is only one person in this story worthy of worship. And that was the child. And friends, the third truth I think we can learn is this. Truth about the Father is exclusive. It's exclusive. And here's what I mean by that. They didn't worship the king in Jerusalem. They worshiped that baby who is the son of the Most High. He is the only one worthy of worship. In fact, Isaiah 45 says it this, I am the Lord, 
and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. And here's what we have to understand, friends. All truth, if you just, if you just think about this, this will be clear. All truth is by definition exclusive. It's by definition exclusive. Think about it. If if this is true, then its opposite cannot be true. If this is true, then to deny it cannot be true. It's false. All truth is by definition exclusive. Anything that contradicts or denies truth is by definition false. Friends, this is extremely important. It's especially extremely important in our culture today because there is that denial in our culture today that there is any such thing as absolute truth. And quite often I hear people say, well, you know, you Christians, I mean... You think you've got a corner on truth. Well, you know, when people say that to you, friends, you have to understand that that's not logical, okay? It's not logical to point that out about Christianity. Here's why I say that. Every religion known to man makes truth claims. Not just Christianity. I mean, think about it. Christianity holds that Jesus was the Messiah, the way to God. Now, that is either true or it is not true. The Jewish faith believes that Jesus was not the Messiah. And he is not the link between God and man. That is a truth claim. It is either true or it is not Islam accepts Jesus only as a prophet who didn't actually die on a cross. That's a truth claim. It is either true or it is not. Buddhism began as a rejection of the Hindu scriptures and the Hindu caste system. It's either true or it's not. And on and on and on you could go with every single religion on earth. They all make truth claims. In fact, atheism makes a truth claim. Atheism holds that there is no God. That is either true or it is not. Agnosticism holds that there may be a God, there may not be, but there's no way to know that is a truth claim. If there's no way to know, that's either true or it's not. So every religion and every non-religion makes truth claims. And the opposite, or to deny, is either true or false. Now the fourth truth claim about the Father is this. Jesus is the only way to the Father. That's what he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. In fact, the Apostle Peter said in Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
no other name. That is a truth claim. It is either true or it is not. And I know that many people consider this claim of Jesus, and I'm sure you've heard it, and the claim of Peter and the rest of the scripture. Many people today in our culture consider these claims to be arrogant or narrow-minded or perhaps even worse, bigoted. Some argue, as does Charles Templeton in his book, Farewell to God, he says Christians are a small minority in the world. Approximately four out of every five people on the face of the earth believe in gods other than the Christian God. The more than five billion people, this book was written a few years back, there's now over seven, I think. The more than five billion people who live on earth revere or worship more than 300 gods. If one includes the animist or tribal religions, the number rises to more than 3,000. Are we to believe that only Christians are right? Rosemary Ruther insists that Jesus' claim to be the only way to God is absurd religious chauvinism. Chauvinism. While one Jewish rabbi wrote this, I am absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. So we've gone from chauvinism to racism. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. It's a way of saying that we are closer to God than you, and that's what leads to hatred. In fact, the Hindu Swami Vivekananda said, the real sin is to call someone else a sinner. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, oh, gee, that sounds new. Lots of people believe that today. He actually said those words 130 years ago in 1890. It's just taken 130 years for this to become the dominant belief in our culture. Now, obviously, it's disingenuous at best because if he's a Hindu, he has a truth claim. The rabbi has a truth claim. Rosemary Ruther has a truth claim. And the question you have to ask yourself is, can it just any way be true? Jesus says he is the way, but is it more true that there's many ways? Jesus says he's the truth, but is it more accurate to say there's many truths? Think, think about it this way, okay? Maybe this will help. Imagine that you just got a job, all right? And you're going to your job for your very first day of work, Okay? And you want to do a good job. That's your goal. You, you want to stay hired. You want to do things right. And you walk up to your workstation and you got all these notebooks, all different size, different colors, red. But some of them are like, like, like really thick. And some of them are, man, this, I kind of like this one because this is like the smallest one in the punch. And so you ask your supervisor, what, what is all this stuff? What, what are all these 
things. And, and he says, those are your operations manuals. Operations man, You mean I got I to gotta read all these operations manuals in order to do this job? He says, well, no. What am I supposed to do with all these things? Pick one. Pick one. Well, does I mean, does the color make a difference? Because like I got blue here, I got maroon one now here. That's kind of good color. Got red here, red, you know, kind of like the the phone the president uses to call the premier of Russia. Is that the one I should use? I don't know. Just pick one. Well. Does the thickness make a difference? I mean, this one's got a lot in it, and there's tons of stuff, and I don't know. Let's pick one. But how do I know if I'm right? How do I know if I'm right? I'm not sure. If I don't know I'm right, how do I know if I'm, I mean, if I, if I don't know I'm right, how, how do I know if I'm going to be able to keep this job? Well, there's no guarantees. No guarantees. You know, friends, I would imagine that if you showed up for work like that, you'd be looking for another job really quick. Because we can't live like that. Like everything's true. There's no right way to live. There's no answer to what does life really mean and what difference does it make how I live. We can't live successfully like that. Nobody can. And yet our culture keeps telling us, anyway's okay. Anyway's fine. You just really can't live that way. You see, friends, when people say to us that the way to the Father is too narrow, when people say that that thing about just Jesus being the only link is too exclusive, the truth of the matter is this. It's that last bullet point on your outline. The way to the Father is not too narrow. Thank God the Father gave us a way so that we could know when we're on the right way and when we could know when we're off the right way. The way to the Father is not too narrow. The way is wide enough for all who sincerely seek the Father. It is wide enough for all, for all who sincerely seek the Father. Remember, remember what was written from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him 
and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He's not far, friends. The way to the Father through Jesus Christ is not too narrow. The way is wide enough for all who sincerely seek him. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that even though you are the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe, you cared so much for us that you have made truth about you knowable. What a blessing that is. Father, it's comforting to know that truth about you is absolute. It applies always and everywhere. Not just about how the world came into being and how we are to live, but but also truth about ourselves and our need for a Savior. Father, we're thankful that truth about you is exclusive. Father, we realize that we can't really operate in a world where what is true and what is not true both exist. What is true is. What is not true is simply false. And help us, Father, to have the fortitude to understand that distinction and accept it. And Father, help us to accept what Jesus said about himself when he made that statement, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Father, we are so grateful that you loved us so much that you sent your son into the world and that he was willing to die on a cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to you. Father, we realize that without him, it is not possible for us to connect with you. That is only available through him. And so, Father, we recognize the importance of his coming into this world. And we recognize how right it is that we celebrate that at this time of year. Thank you for sending your son. For this is our prayer in Christ's name. And we all agree together and said, amen.